You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome to a brand new month, brand new week, and a brand new dawn, a new day of serving God together. I want to welcome you, especially if you're listening online. A lot of us sometimes forget that there are people all over that are paying attention to these words, gathering with us in worship, even submitting prayer requests and asking us to join with them as spiritual partners. And I want to welcome you if this is your first time at first. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you'll let us know who you are and let us uh, be praying for you. And most of all, for you saints too, right? People that week in, week out, day in, day out, are committed to the reading of Scripture, the path of becoming like Jesus, and who gather here to be encouraged in worship. So glad that you are here. Most everybody has a system of how they go about living their life. Even if that's not the kind of system where it's spelled out and articulated on a page or in a book, most people direct their lives by some particular system. And maybe that's by a series of values. I'm going to be an honest person. I'm going to be a fair person, or a frugal person, or a generous person. Sometimes we guide our lives or we direct our lives by some guidelines, some principles. I'm going to treat other people the way I want to be treated. Early to bed, early to rise, or maybe it's late to bed and late to rise. Right? We've got guidelines that direct how we might choose to live our lives. Occasionally, these work themselves into specific rules where we're going to do a set rule. Right? I'm going to call my mother once a month. And the mothers are like, once a, how about once a day? Once a week? Something better than once a month. Or I'm going to pay my bills one week before they're due. So these things work themselves into particular rules, particular ways of acting. Well, I've been wanting us to think about how we live our spiritual life. Is there something that, that anchors it? Is there something that organizes it or holds it together. And that's what we've been focusing on in this particular series, looking at how our desert city spirituality is expressed. And for believers in Christ, sometimes that gets expressed in terms of worship. Like, I'm going to be a part of worship. Maybe it's a specific practice, like in a moment when we'll gather around the Lord's table and break communion bread and drink communion wine, Maybe it's a practice like that. But for everyone, even for people outside of what they might call an organized faith, there's a way of making sense of life. And I find that people are either, they're looking for meaning, they're kind of stretching and trying to find what is it going to be, or they're living out some kind of meaning that they've found, some way to organize their lives. Well, one thing that's... uh, exciting is having a medical professional in your household. This has obvious benefits and challenges. 
Uh, my, my lovely wife, Donna, who's highly trained and skilled uh, medical professional, early on in our marriage diagnosed me with bad arches and tight hamstrings. Yes. So, you know, levels of attraction, they, they're, they're odd, right? Like I, arches, hamstrings. And so, in her diagnosis, she knows down the road that will mean back problems or other problems. So she made me get arch supports. She gave me all these exercises for how I would stretch out my hamstrings. And I, I did pretty good on those, um, right? Uh, getting up against a wall, putting my legs up the wall or a door frame, trying to stretch out those hamstrings. But I don't know if you're like me, but after a while, an exercise routine like that tends to go by the wayside. You don't do the stretching that you should. Well, many years ago, uh, Donna got interested in yoga, and she said, oh, you, you need to do yoga, Brady. Yoga? Men don't do yoga? I can't do yoga? She said, no, you really should think about doing yoga. Well, she kept pounding on me about possibly doing yoga, and so there's no way I'm going to a class. I'm not taking this show public. Uh, yeah, I'm with a TV. I'm on YouTube trying to see how to do yoga, and I have to tell you, it was making some difference. It was a routine. I could see something specific and, and valuable in it where it's focused on stretching and breathing and, and alignment. And eventually, eventually, I got out of my comfort zone after many, I don't know how long it was, it was a while before I went and was actually in a class because I just always thought that if men do yoga, that's creepy. And the men that are in a yoga class, they, they're bound to be creepy at some level. But I got over that. In the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at Colossians, I found my yoga passage. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. You see, sometimes you'll hear in a yoga class something like this. You root to rise, where you're grounding your feet down, but you're also raising up. And that sounds like you're doing two opposite things, and you are, but you're pulling and stretching the body into a better alignment by rooting to rise. And so there's a lot of talk, a lot of focus on the feet and on the legs of how you might anchor them and then stretch upward. We'll look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there it is. You get this horticulture image, rooted, attached to architectural imagery of being built and established or strengthened, leading to this overflowing of thanksgiving. Folks, when it comes to following God and knowing God, or being on this spiritual journey to find God, Jesus Christ is the game changer. And I mean that sincerely, regardless of what someone's religion might be, regardless of how many gods they have, or where they might go for answers, Jesus is a game changer. 
Because we learn something about God's nature, that God not only creates us, but God wants to know us intimately in relationship. And entered human flesh as Jesus Christ to show us the pathway to knowing God. And I think that changes the game for all religions. Because all supposed powers, all supposed things that are out there, submit in the Lordship to Jesus Christ. They all come under God's power in Jesus Christ. And the fact that God wants to know you and to live in you and to put His spiritual fullness inside of you is kind of mind-blowing. Today we're going to jump in with both feet. This is a heavy, heavy text. And it pushes us past ways of thinking about following God beyond kingdoms that might have land or money or kingdoms of David or rebuilding a power like the, the kingdom of Israel was in David's time. And it moves us into this reality of coming to enter the very life of God. Look back a few verses to where we were last week in verse 27 of chapter 1 where we get the core of what this spirituality is all about, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that Paul's focus and his ministry was about maturing people, bringing them to fullness in Jesus Christ. And last week I mentioned to you how this is not just in Colossians with Paul, but it's all throughout his letters. But I want us to look in another place today. Flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I want you to see that this is in the very lips of Jesus. It's in his teaching as well. John 17, look in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. I in them and you in me. Now for me, this is starting to sound like those Russian stacking dolls. Right? I mean, it, okay, so Christ is in us and then God is in Christ. Well, the Russian stacking doll thing doesn't work at all. Because that assumes that one is bigger than the other and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an interpenetrating relationship where you have to look to something, I told you we're jumping in with both feet, something like the Trinity, where God lives and exists in this community of love, where God has manifest God's self to us as creator, the one is the origin of life, and the redeemer, the savior of life, who walked among us and was killed, but resurrected to live not just life here, but to live life full and abundantly. Not just leaving us abandoned to be forever in this creation, but filling us with the Holy Spirit. That is an astounding portrayal of this community. You remember last week, we talked, or a couple of weeks ago, we were wanting to be in Christ. And then last week, we talked about Christ being in us. Look in verses 9 and 10 here. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Folks, we could spend a month on that one right there. 
in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him also, and you, and you, verse 10, have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and every authority. In us, the fullness of God comes to dwell and comes to be realized. That is profound. And we have to get our arms around it by talking about things like how God has revealed himself as Trinity. And even in things like baptism, which is where Paul goes next. In baptism, we are submerged into the reality of God. We are plunged down. Here at First Christian, you see the baptistry up front. We believe in immersion baptism, where someone is actually living out the story of Jesus. They are standing in the water. They are living with Christ. They are put down deep into the water, surrounded in the reality of God, dying to themselves, joining Jesus in the tomb. And then God gives us life again. That is amazing. Now, let me just tell you, it's not about the water. It's not about the style. It's not about how much water. It's not about the things that we do. Baptism is something God does to us. God is the actor. Lest we get confused and think that we've got to do it just right or have it just together or our lives in order, no. This is something that God does to us. That is profound. That is powerful because it pushes us beyond trust in ourselves or even the ability to pat ourselves on the back and to live in a whole different story. The story of Jesus who lived, died, and was resurrected. Well, Paul's not satisfied just to talk about baptism. He goes one step further. Let's tie baptism to circumcision. So he takes this ancient, fairly common initiation rite in the first century church that was true of many different religions, a way of getting into a religion, and ties it with a thousands of year old tradition, circumcision, a fairly uncomfortable one. In this one, it's a physical act where the male genitalia, the tip skin is removed and it's a marker. It's a marker of who has committed themselves to God. Now that's a serious commitment. There's, there's a mark. And it's gender specific. But look at what Paul does with this. In verse 11, he explains that God does this work. Look at verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. He ties baptism to this to, to circumcision and says, this is not done by a doctor. This is not done by a priest. This is not gender specific. This is something God does to our hearts. And the result is the kind of life that we live, who we are outside of that baptism, pushing us to live into the life of God that's beyond a tattoo or a mark that we can point back to and requires the mark to be our life, who we are before God. Because all we really bring to this is death. That's what he says in verses 12 through 14. We were dead in our sins. We were 
dead in our uncircumcision. We were dead apart from Christ, but God makes us alive. And he takes the record that's against us of all the things that we've done. We're not talking about the law of Moses. He takes the record of the things that we've done and destroys it, eliminates it, and gives us a whole new identity in the face of Christ. Now, when I look at this, it's amazing to me of how set free Paul is. The rest of the chapter goes into all these rules that are being tossed around. Don't do this. Don't eat that. Don't touch that. You don't want to go there. Lots and lots of religious rules. Now, I would expect Paul to come in and give a whole bunch of new rules about what the life of Christ is. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't give rules. In fact, he steps away from the rules and only gives Jesus Christ. Because the rules perish, verse 20. The rules are almost like a trick, verse 23, where you are able to be seemingly wise and pious and holy, but it's hiding a self-indulgent heart. So Paul moves away from the rules and says, you know what, in a lot of ways, rules are good, but they don't check self-indulgence. They often don't transform us or change us. Now, this is astounding to me because Paul is a top-flight Pharisee. And I have to think about his own life and think about what happened to him as one who was a rule follower. When he looked at Christians, when he looked at followers of Jesus, they were not following God in the way that he thought they should follow God. And so he was willing to chase them down, persecute them, defame their name, put them in prison, kill some of them in the name of God for his own religious beliefs. He was so focused on the rules that he didn't look at his own life and what was happening. And I think it is exposed when that light struck him on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus. And he began to see that his life, even though it was very religious, did not line up with the kind of life that should be the life of God. Do we do this? Do we put rules and make the rule the aim with our kids or with our coworkers or even with our spouse? Will they toe the line? I mean, rules are good. I've been known to enforce quite a few rules around the house. It can be kind of annoying about it. But if the end game is the rule and following the rule, we've missed the point. It's not about the rules that you break or the rules that you defy. That's not what the focus is. It is on becoming like Jesus Christ. You see, you can give a tenth of your income like we want you to do and still be a greedy person. You can sing a nice baritone voice in the choir or play in the band and still be a very angry person. You can be able to quote a memory verse and still be a, a person who's given to gossip and slander and not being a nice person whatsoever, right? The rules where we kind of protect ourselves up and create an image don't always change who we are at the inside. And I've seen this a lot. I've seen it in churches, seen it in denominations. I've seen it in the academy. 
where people are very gifted and can write great books and theological papers and put together a good argument, but their lives don't match up. They don't line up. They don't line up whatsoever at all, and they're given to destroying people, harming them with words. You see, I think Paul's life exemplifies for us something that Jesus exposed. Because in Jesus' life, as he went about conducting his ministry, he was the first one that all the religious people wanted to kill. Because they were jealous of him. And Jesus kept trying to say, can you not see how this doesn't fit? I'm here talking about God, about my Father, and you're ready to kill me. Jesus exposed that temple structure, that religious system, for what it was and how bankrupt it is to actually produce a transformed and changed life. So what Jesus exposed, Paul exemplifies, and I think that's why we get a message like this one that I think helps us with our desert city spirituality. It helps us begin to think about how do we match up our lives with the lordship of Jesus? How do those things come together rather than being separate? When we get hung up just on rules, we will stumble. We will not find our way into the life that is in Jesus, that's rooted in Christ. And a lot of that depends on knowing where you're going. And if you know that where you're going is a life in Christ, that makes all the difference in the world. There was a recent time here where I did not know exactly where I was going. I've been wanting to get out on the ski slope since we've moved to Albuquerque. And I thought, well, I'm going to go test out Sandia Peak. It had a little bit of snow. And on, on my day off, I headed out to Sandia Peak. Now, all day long in this, you know, it's not hard to get lost on Sandia Peak. It's pretty narrow, just a few runs. But uh, all day long, I thought I was going up lift one. And, and uh, I, I started skiing off to the left and got to the boundary zone. and thought, oh, okay, well, I'm already over here. Well, I'm going to go up a different lift. And I went past the bunny lift. And I thought I was going to lift three, but I was going to lift four. And you know, if you don't know where you're going, if, if things can happen. So let me, just, let me just tell you what happened on my first venture to Sandia Peak. So I get down and, I, and I'm thinking, all right, well, I tried a little different path. I'm going to go up this lift three, actually lift four, and I better figure out where I'm going. So I do like you're supposed to. I tuck my poles under my leg on the lift, and I'm looking at my map and have my gloves off, and I happen to notice that there's an exit. It says, if this is your first time up, you need to exit here. And I was like, oh, okay, it's the little beginner. It's no problem. I go back to studying my map to know where I'm going. Now, the other lifts have been very slow. It takes a long time to get to the top. Not so with lift four. I suddenly looked up and saw it was not time to prepare to dismount, it was time to dismount. And I have my poles here, my phone out. I did my best to stay on my feet, but poles went everywhere, gloves went everywhere. I don't know how I did it, but I was balanced on my poles and bent them. I, I didn't fall, but I picked up my phone and I had two poles like this until I tried to fix one and it became another set of pair, another pair of poles. 
If you don't know where you're going, if you don't know where you are, you're not going to get there. And in the spiritual life, it's clear where we're going. And it might sound too extreme that we want to become like Jesus Christ, but that's the goal. That is where we are headed. We want to find our lives, our walking around everyday lives, rooted in Jesus Christ built up and strengthened on a foundation of Jesus Christ, straightened and overflowing with thanksgiving in Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. And perhaps it might help us to kind of think of a counterexample. Because if we, if we just think about Jesus, we'll say, oh yeah, I want to be like Jesus. Yes. But I think it's helpful to think about our lives and where they're going now. So, one of our famous Albuquerque characters is Walter White. Walter White, the Breaking Bad guy. And it doesn't matter if you haven't seen the show. I'm not telling you to see it. But uh, Walter White is this straight-laced chemistry professor, follows the rules, contributes to a Nobel Peace Prize. And he's a character. It's fictional. But he gets cancer. And so I kind of wondered if we couldn't blend... Walter White and Breaking Bad with the Christmas story. The Ghost of Christmas Past, the Ghost of Christmas Present, all of those. What if we could introduce Walter White, the straight-laced chemistry professor, to Walter White at the end of season three? Or at the end of season four, after he's made choice after choice to cook methamphetamine and do so secretly to try to raise money? to treat himself. What if we could introduce himself to who he becomes? Would that change anything? And so that's the thought experiment I want you to have. Think about these things that you want and imagine that you already have them, right? Imagine that you want to feed those desires or those needs for money, right? We think if we just hit it big around the table, if we just pull the slot, then we will be where we need to be because we'll have all that money. Well, I just want you to imagine yourself what it looks like to lose that money. Or when the desire to win becomes so powerful that you don't spend any time with your family. You're separate from them. It becomes an obsession to do this one thing. Now, whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you. There's not one thing. But what is it that you desire? And I want you to think about not just what you would get, but look at other people's lives and see if that is a life that you want. Imagine the life and whatever addiction that you might put in the blank. When we're rooted in Christ, when our goal is maturity in Jesus Christ, that becomes the lens through which we are able to see all of our decisions. We're able to make decisions in the present moment based on who we're going to become. It doesn't just suddenly happen by magic. It's a part, it's part training. It's a part intention and will and desire. And this is what we're after. And when we know our goal, when we know where we are and how far we have to go, knowing where we are and knowing our direction, helps us not be staring at the map, confused about where we're going. Let's pray.
Eternal God, we just thank you that you call us your children and that you haven't abandoned us at all. You're focused on our well-being and you've shown us through Jesus who we are to be. So we pray that you will fill us with your Spirit. Will you not only expand our lungs to inhale who you are, but expand the interior temple of our lives to welcome you to every resource, to take over our emotions, to take over what we think is important so that we can serve and follow you. We thank you for Jesus, and we ask this in his name. Amen.